Your three steps to wealth starts in three, two, one, now. This is The Three Steps to Wealth. Hello, I'm Scott Hogue. Welcome to The Three Steps to Wealth podcast. This is podcast number nine. If you missed any of the previous podcasts, I recommend that you go back and listen to them all in order. Of course, with material like this, you'll really need to review and reinforce the lessons several times to really get the full benefit from them. Listening one time can be a positive help, but listening several times, doing the exercises, and really focusing on all of this and doing it seriously will change your life. And I know that because I've taught it and I've seen it. Now, on the last podcast, I asked you to list at least 20 reasons that you wanted to become wealthy, personal reasons that you wanted to become wealthy. I have asked people to list as many as 40 reasons before I would even work with them because I wanted to know they were serious and they had plenty of reasons that would carry them through. I'd have no trouble personally giving you 100 reasons that I wanted to be wealthy, and those reasons continue to drive me even today. For today's homework exercise, after this podcast, I want you to take each of those reasons, one at a time, and figure out what that reason would really look like in reality if and when you achieved wealth. Now, I never wanted to be hungry again. I didn't want any of my family to be hungry again. I didn't even want my friends or anyone I met to be hungry again. I can tell you what that looked like when it happened for me. It looked like my kitchen pantry was just full of groceries on every shelf. My upstairs refrigerator was full of groceries. My downstairs refrigerator was full of groceries. My freezer downstairs was full of groceries. I had two shelves that I had downstairs that were the overflow. They were full of groceries. And then two shopping carts at the store that were full of grocery. And that's when I went to check out and I realized I had achieved my goal. The subconscious mind works pretty well with pictures, and you might have even got a picture of me pushing two shopping carts and trying to manage two of them at the grocery store. Maybe you saw the shelves full of groceries on my shelves at the basement and upstairs pantry. But anyway, we work well with images in a subconscious mind and what we call mental constructs. Now, you have a goal-seeking mechanism, and it's working all the time but in a more or less random way if you're not taking control and using it. So if you don't direct it, it's going to work, but it's going to work more randomly, much more randomly. So you might as well direct it. It's working anyway. I want you to take each of your reasons and convert them mentally into a snapshot of what they would be like when you realize them. This snapshot shouldn't just be a flat picture. It should be something that you can actually walk into in your mind. You can imagine sitting in that car running a little movie maybe of you driving with the windows down in the fresh air, or however it would be most pleasurable to you. That is, of course, if you want to be wealthy to get a certain car. If you want a car, you need to start thinking car and thinking very specifically about it. Can you imagine calling up a home builder, a home contractor, and telling them that you wanted them to build you a home without any plans or even a blueprint? That's often exactly what you're doing to your subconscious mind, and then complaining about the results you get. So we want a mental construct. We want a blueprint. We want a picture, an image, something that we can really work with 
and give that over to the subconscious mind that it might be directed. Now, go over your list of reasons that you want to be wealthy. One by one, imagine those reasons are totally, completely, and perfectly fulfilled. See the reality of you living in your dream. Step into it mentally, and then on paper, describe it in detail so you've got something to look at on paper outside of your mind to refer to it. We write things down to get them out of our mind so that they're easier to work on, and then we turn around and we put them back in our mind in maybe a little bit better form, a little more organized. Now, while you're there in the scene of this, take a mental snapshot for your memory so that you can quickly bring this all to mind. We'll do more with this in the next podcast. There is one more thing that I want to cover before I move on to Napoleon Hill's book, Think and Grow Rich. I want to introduce you to the power of an hour. Einstein said that anyone reading and studying an hour a day on any topic, any topic, could in one year talk with the world's experts on that subject with understanding at the highest level. Was he right? Well, I'm glad you asked that. In the 1950s, it seems, that we had an atom bomb, we had an H-bomb, and the beginnings of space travel, and we also had the Cold War. During this time, nuclear physics was in the news almost every day. It's in the newspaper, you hear it on the radio, even on the television. A group of housewives decided that in their book club that they would stop reading the regular books, and for a change, they'd study nuclear physics. After all, it was in the news every day, and it could very possibly have a dramatic effect on their family's future. In time, they were telling people that they had studied nuclear physics, and they understood it. One day, a reporter heard about this, and he thought it'd be interesting just to put the ladies to the test. And he arranged for a panel of professors from the local colleges and the universities to have a little discussion with these housewives. What happened? Well, you know, I'm glad you asked that. The Ladies Home Nuclear Physics Society spoke with perfect understanding on the subject and actually asked some questions that put these professors back to their books to get the answers. You see, these women had read and studied the same material that the professors had read and studied. Why shouldn't they be able to discuss the topic with the same understanding? The same goes for you. If you study the books wealthy people studied, if you do the things that made wealthy people wealthy, then why wouldn't you become wealthy? If you think otherwise, I would suggest that's just being superstitious. If these women could learn nuclear physics by studying an hour a day for a year while changing the baby and cleaning the house and making supper and occasionally grocery shopping, then you can learn the material that I'm covering here if you really want to and are willing to commit to learning it. Now on to Napoleon Hill and Think and Grow Rich. I don't see how I can cover this even briefly in one podcast, so be aware that I'll carry this over into the next podcast. I'm going to begin all of this by just touching place to place on my class study notes, and hopefully you'll get the book if you haven't got it, and you'll do your own studying and your own research. Hold your own class. Napoleon Hill was born October the 26th in 1883, and he died November 8th, 1970. So you can see that this man's lifespan that covered an interesting time in history and even human development. He was basically a secretary when he met Andrew Carnegie in 1908, and he was doing an article for a little of nothing, really, uh, to make ends meet for a small magazine. Andrew Carnegie was the world's richest man, it was believed at the time. Of course, it wasn't as easy to get figures and such at that time, but according to his, all of his wealth, if it had been converted into cash or cash equivalents, he would have been considered the world's richest man. When Napoleon Hill went to interview him, he was little more than just a student. 
And when Andrew Carnegie saw him, he saw a spark in him that interested him. Andrew Carnegie had a pet project that he wanted him to undertake. He'd been looking for someone for a while with this thought that he could put them on this path to develop a success philosophy. Andrew Carnegie said one of the greatest sins of the ages was that when you buried a man, that you buried his knowledge, all of his wisdom and experience with his bones. And there needed to be a way to pass success information, success philosophy. A success means a method to the next generation. That Someone needed to collect this. So Andrew Carnegie asked him if he'd be interested in interviewing people and writing this success philosophy. And in the process, he told him, he said, I believe it's going to take about 20 years. And oh yeah, in the meantime, I'm not going to pay you anything. You'll have to work for free because it wouldn't be very convincing if you're writing a success philosophy and you can't succeed and take care of yourself. So that was pretty tall order. Work for the richest man in the world for 20 years for no pay. But Hill didn't have really a better offer, and he said, I don't know what really made me do it, but he said, I said yes, and he said yes in, I think, about 29 seconds, something like that, and he didn't realize that Andrew Carnegie was actually timing him, and if he didn't get a positive answer within a minute, he didn't believe he would have the right person because he needed someone that was positive, and so Napoleon Hill told him, yes, I'll do it, and you can believe that I'll do it, and I'll finish it and succeed. You can be sure of that, and so Andrew Carnegie gave him the job. Andrew Carnegie wrote him introduction letters, and by these means of letters from the richest man in the world, Napoleon Hill was able to interview uh, over 500 of the most successful people in the time. People like Henry Ford, people like Thomas Edison. As an aside, you may not know, very few people seemingly do, that at one time Henry Ford actually worked for Thomas Edison. There's something about this. He caught a spark from Thomas Edison, and I'll tell you that little story. He came home one day to his wife, that is Henry Ford, and he had a a confidence problem. He had a confidence problem where that he didn't believe in himself. And so when he came home to his wife, he'd been struggling over this idea about the motor car. But he was excited this one day because he had talked to Thomas Edison. And he said, I believe I can do it because Thomas Edison believes I can do it. He tried to sell the idea to Thomas Edison. Thomas Edison said, you've got a wonderful idea. I believe you can carry it out. But he said, I'm too busy, and it's something different in a different area or field that I'm working in right now. He said, why don't you do it? And he said, well, I don't have any money, Henry Ford said. I don't have the money. I don't have the resources and things like this. And Thomas Edison told Henry Ford, he said, what do you think I had when I made the electric light bulb? He said, I was living on milk and toast that my wife would fix for me at night when I would come in. We didn't have any money. He said, you don't need money. He said, you've got to have an idea and you've got to have determination. He said, if you want to do it, you can do it. And that conversation with Thomas Edison, a man practically deaf, he saw and heard something in Henry Ford that made him believe that he could do it if he would. And Thomas Edison gave him the missing piece of the puzzle. And of course, the rest is history. We do have the Ford Motor Company. We had the Model T, the Model A, and all the other models that have come down the line since then. And as a result of Henry Ford breaking ground on that, we also have a lot of other automotive companies and a lot of other inventions that Henry Ford was involved in directly or indirectly. But now back to the story. Napoleon Hill in time wrote many books, but the one that really caught the the imagination of the public, and that even during a time of depression, was Think and Grow Rich. 
Now, this is the book that Bob Proctor in the movie The Secret, and if you haven't seen The Secret, I would highly recommend that you see it. But Bob Proctor said that someone gave him this book, Think and Grow Rich, and that was in the 60s, and his income the next year rose from $4,000 a year to $175,000 in the 60s. And soon it was over a million dollars a year, and even more and regular after that. And it was due to the things that he read in this book, and he had a mentor that helped him. It's like I'm trying to help people myself as a mentor. So he goes back and he teaches uh, The Science of Getting Rich. And that's a book that Wallace Waddles wrote that we talked about in the last podcast. And if you read the two books, and even if you read, uh, Charles Hannell wrote a book that was The Master Key to Riches. And if you read all of these and then you wonder how much that maybe Napoleon Hill took from the other two books, you, you probably wouldn't be alone because there's a lot that he covers that comes from these other two books. But he does go on and he uses stories and examples from the interviews that he had with these wealthy people, successful people. And he has some chapters that contain each one a principle that he has that people should obtain in order to ensure their wealth. He said that Nearly every one of these people that he talked about had almost all of the principles, and some had every last one of them, and that's how he got his wealth principles. I'm going to go over the chapters in the book here, and I don't have time really to go into any depth, and you have to understand that, but I'm going to do the best I can. If you've got a newer book, the book will be rewritten in a lot of ways. You want to get one of the older editions. They've reprinted them. And your chapters may not line up with the chapter numbers that I have here if you've got one of the new reprints where that they've changed it around. And, and I, in my opinion, I actually watered down a lot of this. But the first chapter in the traditional book is Thoughts Are Things. And the second chapter is Desire. The third chapter is Faith. The fourth chapter is Auto-Suggestion. The fifth chapter is about specialized knowledge. The sixth, about imagination. The seventh is organized planning. The eighth is decision. The ninth, persistence. The tenth, the power of the mastermind. The eleventh chapter is a very controversial chapter, and it's titled The Mystery of Sex Transmutation. And it's a controversial chapter even in today. And if you go back and read the chapter, you may think that he was kind of mystified by it too, because it's not too clear. But if we read it and get the overview of it, he's talking about taking a drive and changing a drive from one direction to another direction. And so he's, he says that the sex drive is a very strong drive and probably the, the strongest at times in people because of the, the need to continue the race. And so he says that that can be directed into other areas with that strength. So it's transmutated or that is changed in that. And go back and read the chapter and decide for yourself what he's talking about. The twelfth chapter is the subconscious mind. The thirteenth is the brain. The fourteenth is the sixth sense, where he talks about the other senses when added together, that they give us information that can be interpreted in a way that would almost give us an additional sense. And then fifteen is the sixth ghost to fear, and the things that keep us from attaining the things that we want. So it's sort of like this in the ghost of fear. Your belief that you can't have something is mainly the reason why you can't have it. That's what it comes down to. I'm going to cover these chapters, at least a few today, and we'll get further into this in the next podcast. The first chapter is Thoughts of Things. And we've talked about that a little bit in the past on this podcast, that 
if you're sitting in a chair, someone somewhere was thinking chairs. Things are created twice in this world. First, they're created in the mind, and then we take that mental image, that blueprint, and we can make it a reality in the real world. Not everyone does. That's where people that don't attain their goals or don't get their desires, where they fail, and that is in that transmutation process, where that we're creating something in the real world from something that is imaginary or in our imagination. And he goes on even a little further than that, where he says that thoughts are things. And certainly it's true, he's right in that, but it's hard to explain that because they're not quite tangible, they're not quite real, but we have so much of our reality that we can touch because of them. Now, we hear the saying that a journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step, which is not true. The journey of a thousand miles begins with a single thought, because you won't take the first step unless you have a thought behind that. So thoughts are things. And he goes on and explains a little bit about how that when a thought is thought, when you think a thought, that that thought continues to have an effect on your life. If you look at your weight when you step on the scales, that weight is a result of the thoughts that you've had in the past about food. And those thoughts that you've had in the past about food will continue to keep your weight in the direction it is or at the level that it is until they are unthought or rethought as different thoughts. So if you begin to think that I ought to cut back on the fried foods or I ought to eat a little uh, less uh, at night and I should exercise a little bit more. When you start thinking different thoughts about your body and then those thoughts express themselves, you'll see the result almost as a printout in your body and it can be measured on a scale. And the same is with our wealth. If you look at your checkbook, your checkbook is a snapshot of the thoughts that you have thought in the past about money. And whatever your bank account levels are, those are representative of the thoughts you've had about what to spend and what to do to make money. And of course, as we said, it's an equation. You have to live on less than you make if you're going to build wealth. And that's very simple. So chapter one is thoughts of things. And you can go and read the chapter and, of course, and study on that. And we'll move on to chapter two, but we won't cover too much in this first podcast that covers this book. Chapter two talks about desire. Desire is what draws us to the thing that we seek. Since desire draws us toward our object, the power to obtain something is built into our desire for that thing. The desire for something that is difficult to attain, that desire must equal the difficulty of attaining that thing. Now, what does that mean? It means that if you've got something that it's going to take a lot of action over a period of time, it's going to take some rather strong efforts and persistence, you're going to have to have a strong desire that is persistent. That's what it comes down to. And Napoleon Hill talks about a burning desire. And in this chapter, and I think we'll cover this and then we'll wrap it up today, he talks about the Carnegie Method. And that is certainly something important that we need to understand. Now, we've developed some better methods that are based on this. We've made some distinctions, and we'll cover that in the next podcast. But this is a very good method. still works today, but there's some fine-tuning that we can do to it. But let's, let's take it and learn it in its first form. So in this chapter, there is an exercise, and it's called the Carnegie Method, sometimes called the Six Steps to Attaining Things. Step number one is to fix in your mind the exact amount of money you desire. For example, if it's money or whatever it might be, fix in your mind the exact thing that you want. If it's money, fix the exact amount. If you want to a certain level of health, 
then what would that look like? What would it feel like? You have to be able to write it down. I have to be able to run a mile in so many minutes. Maybe that's one way. Maybe I have to have a certain weight, and that would be so many pounds. I would have to fit in a certain size, pant size, or dress. So fix in your mind the exact thing that you desire. Then two, determine what you will give in return for the money. Now, we've talked a little bit about that, that money is made by exchange. And we're talking about money here, but it's anything else. You have to exchange something to get something. You have to do something for it. We live in a cause and effect world, and our actions are our causes, and they bring us our results. So he says, determine next what you're willing to give for that, do for that, that you might receive it. And then three, establish a definite date that you wish to have this thing, whether it's money, health, a weight, whatever it might be, friends, relationships, a marriage, whatever it might be, establish a date. So many times we say that goals are not goals without a date. They're only wishes because we just wish for something indeterminately. Our life may come and go. There's no date that it had to happen, and so many times it doesn't get done. Four. Determine a definite plan for carrying out your desire and begin it once. I hope later in the podcast to talk about the Grapes Achievement Plan that I've created. And that's a lot of this is based on that, and it goes even further. You have to develop a plan. You have to have that in your mental picture, your actions that you're going to carry out. You, you have the blueprint. We're going to put the foundation down first. And to do that, we have to dig a hole here, and we have to do the footer. So we set a plan about if we're building a building. If you're building a life, certainly you need a plan for that too. The life is important because... It's even more important than the building, for the building is built for the purpose of those that live, or for their lives. And so therefore, our lives should have a blueprint too. And he says, develop a definite plan for carrying out your desire, and then begin it once. Don't put it off. You know, if we just turn our wishes into musts, I wished that I had a healthy weight, for example, or I wished that I had a good bank account amount. And if we turn that into, I should have it, and then we keep on working on that till I must have it, and then begin to act. That's when we act on things, when we raise our standards. And so he says that, that you should begin on your plan at once, and five, write out a clear statement of the amount that you desire, the date you'll receive it, and the plan you'll follow to obtain it, to have it all in one place. So write this down. Whatever amount of money, whatever weight, whatever thing you want, if it's a trip, a vacation, whatever it might be, a job, a change in your career, write down exactly what you want, the date you want to receive it, and be reasonable about that. It may take a little while, it may take a little work, but don't put it off decades in the future. And then write down the plan along with it that you will follow so that you've got this all in one location that you might follow it. And six, read that statement aloud daily, twice a day at least, and see yourself and feel yourself in possession of what you're desiring. And then you can refer, of course, to the book for more detail on this. But for most people, this is the most important lesson in the entire book. So go back and study it. It's a very important exercise. And we'll come back next week and cover more. So come back next week, and not only will we go even deeper into Think and Grow Rich with Napoleon Hill, I'm going to show you a bonus, how to get a free bonus. I'm going to show you how to download a copy of my next book before it even goes to the publisher. Now, this will be free for everyone that's listening to this podcast, so come back and get the free information here 
on how to download a copy of the next book that I'm writing. Almost finished. It should be ready to download for you next week before it even goes to the publisher now. And this is a book like I've never written before. It's to the point. It's quick. A lot of people that have looked at the early work on it, they think it's interesting and amusing. But yet it is still powerful. It shows people how to make quick changes, dramatic, positive changes in their life without a whole lot of information that's useless or maybe that would be boring and dull that a lot of people wouldn't go through or be interested in. It's just really to the point. And it, it really looks like it's going to be a very good book, well-received by the reviews so far, the, the copies that I've sent out for the, for the early reviews. So come back next week. We're going to go deeper into Think and Grow Rich and also come back for that free bonus. That's it for this podcast. If you're serious about this, then be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you won't miss any lessons as we go through the series. The website is www.3stepstowealth.com and you must spell the word three, so that makes it www.threestepstowealth.com. Three Steps to Wealth. Spell the word three, just don't use the numeral in the address. If you're serious about success, wealth, and a better life, I'm just suggesting that a website named Three Steps to Wealth could be useful. There's a free download section on the website and also a blog. You might want to make a note of it to check the website and to check it often because we add material pretty frequently. There's a feed link for the blog as well as an RSS link to subscribe to the podcast. Till next time, it's my heart's desire that you're blessed. This podcast is a production of Hogan Life and is copyrighted 2013 by Scott Hogue, The Three Steps to Wealth. Since your conditions are dependent on your personal circumstances, and since laws and circumstances can change quickly, we must insist that in any endeavor where there's risk, you must consult with a competent professional. Scott Hogue is an educator and does not provide personal professional advice in any area. Companies and trademarks mentioned in these podcasts belong to their owners and not to Scott Hogue or the Three Steps to Wealth. The endorsement of the companies or people mentioned in these podcasts or they of this material is not implied. All music is the property of the rights and copyright holders and has been licensed for use here. This is a production of Hogan Live, copyright 2013. All rights reserved.